James chapter 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Please, God's word. Thanks, Amanda. Uh, good morning. If you don't know me, my name is Holly. Uh, before we start, I'm going to pray and ask God that he'd help us to... Uh, hear and understand his word, so let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've spoken to us and that we might come and we can listen to what you've got to say. Please help us now as we do that. Uh, please pour your Holy Spirit out amongst us, encouraging us and convicting us where we need it. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Before I started at Bible College, I used to work as a school teacher. And so there's lots and lots of stories I could tell you about all sorts of weird and wonderful things that my students did, but I just want to share one in particular with you. And so I was teaching at the time, I was teaching a year 11 design tech class, and exam time was coming up. And so we're spending most of our classes studying for the exam. And so um, how can I put this as tactfully as possible? Uh, the students I was teaching were not the most academically high-achieving students out there. And so, um, and so what I thought to myself was, how do I help these students who find it difficult to study and to remember things? How do I help them prepare for the test that's coming up, the exam that's coming up? And so what I decided to do was make things as easy as possible. So what I did was I got the exam that I'd made for them 
and I changed the heading. Instead of the heading saying, Year 11 Design Tech Exam, I changed it to say, Year 11 Design Tech Exam Revision Sheet. And then I printed it out and I took it into class and I gave it to them. So they literally had the exam with just a different heading on it. And so when I gave it to them in class, you'd think that they'd be happy with this, but what they said to me was, Sir, we, we're not interested in, the, in these sheets. Can't you just tell us what's on the exam? And I, um, I said to them, no, I can't do that. I can't tell you what's on the exam, but I make the exam and I'm telling you, if you know what's on these sheets, you will do well on the exam. Kind of nod, nod, wink, wink. And so they're like, no, we're not interested. Sir, can't you just tell us what's on the exam? No, I can't tell you what's on the exam, but if you know these sheets, you'll do well on the exam. Now, that's, that's pretty obvious, isn't it? Like, you'd think that anyone would say, okay, I've got to learn what's on these sheets and I'll be fine. But you know what happened at the end of class? They all stood up and walked out and left these sheets on the desk. And so, unsurprisingly, most of them failed the exam, uh, but it's always stuck with me. It's always stuck with me. Every time I think about it, it reminds me how important it is to be prepared for tests or exams. If we're not prepared for tests, then we're going to fail them. And of course, life is filled with tests, isn't it? All sorts of tests, but tests that are much bigger and much more important than a year 11 design tech exam. And I'm sure as we sit here today, as we're here in church, we can all think of tests that we're facing at the moment. So maybe it's that person at work that's always just knows how to push our buttons and just say that thing that annoys us. Or maybe it's health issues. Maybe we're sick, or maybe we know other people, family members or friends who are sick. Or maybe it's relationship issues, issues with our spouse or parents or friends, relationship issues that means there's constant fighting and unhappiness. See, there's all sorts of tests that we face on a daily basis. And so we need to know how to be prepared for them. Because if we're not prepared for them, we'll be like my students that failed their test, that failed their exam. Because what do tests imply? Well, tests imply that there's some kind of assessment at the end, don't they? My year 11 students didn't just sit the test and that was it. They sat the test, they were marked on the test, and then that decided whether they passed or failed the subject. And so in the same way with us, there's some kind of assessment, there's some kind of verdict associated with these tests of life. And so what we see as we look at James chapter 1 is that these tests, the verdict, the assessment, is linked with eternal life. It's linked with eternal life. It's so much more important than whether we pass or fail a year 11 subject. This is eternal life that we're dealing with. And so we need to know how to be prepared for these tests that we'll face in life. So how do we get prepared then? Well, what we see in James chapter 1, it's got two helpful tips for us, two things to remember, that if we remember these two things, we'll be well on our way to being prepared for these tests in life. And so James chapter 1 says to us, firstly, tests can make us excel or tests can make us rebel. And so if we remember these two things, then we'll be prepared for the tests in life. So the first one, tests can make us excel. See, tests can actually make us grow stronger in our Christian life. They can make us move forward, closer to God, more mature in our walk. And so because of that, we're meant to do something unusual when we face tests. Did you notice what it was there? When we face tests, we're meant to rejoice. Have a look at verse 2. 
Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. See, we're meant to consider tests or trials as pure joy. How weird is that? How weird is that that we're meant to consider tests as pure joy? A few weeks ago, I was um, working on my laptop and it froze up, shut down and wouldn't start up for about another two hours or so. Um, for me, I mean, that might not sound like a big deal to you, but for me, this was a terrible thing. Everything important I have is on that laptop. All of my sermons, Bible studies, college essays, even the soft copy of the book I used to propose to Cassie was on that computer. And it shut down and stopped working. I was almost curled in the fetal position like this was terrible. And yet James says, I'm meant to consider that pure joy. A few, few months ago, I had to spend the weekend in hospital. I got a call on Friday night, basically saying you need to go to the hospital emergency department right now. And so I did. And I spent the weekend lying in a hospital bed, uh, going for CT scans, getting my arm pinned with lots and lots of needles. I mean, I even had to have hospital food. It was a horrible, horrible weekend. And yet James says that I'm meant to consider that pure joy. I'm sure we can all think of tests that we face that are difficult. Tests aren't a good thing, are they? There's pain involved, there's sadness, there's sickness, there's all sorts of horrible things. Why on earth would I consider them pure joy? Why on earth would I consider tests as pure joy? It just seems so difficult. Why on earth would we find joy in tests? It's because of what we thought about. Tests can make us excel. Tests can actually help us move closer to God. It's a chance for us to show our dependence on God, to move closer to Him. And so because of that, that's why we're meant to find joy in them. See, it might not feel like it, but that's what tests can do. Have a look at verses 2 to 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. See, tests are a bit like medicine. They're not enjoyable to take, but they're good for us. How does that work? Well, because when we face tests, it's an opportunity for us to persevere through them, to focus on God and move towards God, to rely on Him, to show our faith in Him. They're a chance for us to excel. I mean, think about it. When my laptop died... It was a chance for me to trust in God, to trust that he's in control and he knows what he's doing. Same thing when I was in hospital, but even bigger. It was a chance for me to show my faith in God, to trust that God knows what he's doing and that God's in control, to pour everything out on him and rely on him. See, tests are a chance for us to excel, to be made mature and complete. And so that's why we should be joyful in the face of tests. Now, that doesn't mean it's easy or that we're meant to um, enjoy the test themselves. So I'm not meant to walk around smiling and laughing and happy that my laptop died or that I just spend the weekend in hospital. So it's not that we, we're happy and enjoy the test themselves, but we can be joyful because we look past the tests to what they're producing. We can be joyful because they're an opportunity for us to excel and move closer to God. Tests can make us excel. I wonder how you feel about that. How do you feel about that? If you're anything like me, you find that difficult. I find that hard. 
And so that's why we see what we've got here in verses 5 to 7, this kind of um, talk about wisdom. See, if, you, if we find it difficult, we can ask God for wisdom to help us understand, and God will give it to us. Because what's wisdom? Well, wisdom is theology or information about God lived out practically in life. And so we've got this bit of information, we're meant to excel and move forward in tests. And so wisdom helps us to live that out. God will give us the wisdom to understand that this is a good thing. Have a look at verses 5 to 7. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. See, if we ask God, if we ask God, God, help me understand why this test is a good thing, then God will give it to us. God will help us see that there's an end goal to these tests, that the end goal is us being made mature, us being made complete in our faith. But if we ask for wisdom and we doubt God, we think God's not good enough or not powerful enough to give us wisdom, then why would we expect he is going to give it to us? If I ask doubting God, why would I expect he will give it to me? And so he won't. But if we ask in faith, trusting God will give it to us, then he promises he will give it to us. He will help us understand why tests are a good thing. He'll help us understand that tests can make us excel. And then we come to verses 9 to 11. Now, as you look at them, we might think that they're disjointed, that they're about something completely different. But they're actually, they actually seem to be tying in and they seem to be examples of the kinds of tests that we might face. And so what we see is two different tests. And did you notice what they are? They're quite unexpected. See, one of the guys here is facing a test that would expect that life is tough. But the other guy here seems to be facing the test that life is too easy. I don't know if you've ever thought about that before, that that's the test as well. Having life easy can be a test as well. Have a look at verses 9 to 11. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position. But the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. See the test for the wealthy? See, if we're well off, it's so easy to look down on others, to think we're better than others, that we're more deserving than others, just because we have life easy. But that's not being wise. That's not realising that we're in a test. That's not excelling towards God. Or what about if we're poor? If we're poor, it can be easy to look at others and think that they have things well off, to wish we were like them. But that's not wisdom. That's not realising we're in a test. That's not excelling towards God. Because in the end, what does it matter? It all just withers away like a flower. It doesn't matter. In the face of both tests, the key is to trust in God. The key is to find our identity in God. True wisdom trusts in God. See, tests can make us excel. They're a chance to come closer to God, to show our dependence on Him. And if we do that, we'll be crowned with something amazing. Did you see what it was in verse 12? Have a look at what we get if we excel in tests. Verse 12. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. 
because when he stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. See, that's what we're aiming for. This is the end goal, eternal life. If we keep going, if we keep persevering through tests, we get given eternal life. Now, that's something worth going for, isn't it? See, that's why we can excel in tests. Again, it's not saying it's easy. It's not saying there's not pain involved. It's not saying there's not difficulty involved. But when we face tests, we can remember that this is a chance for us to excel. Tests can make us excel. But if that's the case, then why doesn't it always work like that? Even for Christians. Why is it that when we see other people in tests, or when we face tests, we don't always excel? Well, it's because the same event, my laptop dying or me having to spend the weekend in hospital, the same event sometimes makes us rebel. It sometimes makes us turn against God. So instead of seeing it as a test and an opportunity to move closer to God, we see it as a temptation. We rebel against God. So it depends on how we respond. So have a look at verses 12 to 13 and look at the word it uses there. Did you notice the word? In verse 12, it talks about tests. But in verse 13, it talks about temptations. They seem to be different words. But in the original language, in Greek, it's the same word. Tests and temptation is the same word. So what we have going on here is it's the same event. The same event can be either a test or a temptation, depending on how we respond. If I respond well, if I see this a test and I excel, then it's a test. It's an opportunity to come closer to God. Tests always build us up. But if I turn against God, if I rebel against God, then it's a temptation. See, tests can make us excel, but tests can make us rebel. So, for example, when my laptop died, I could excel. I could trust in God and know that he's in control. But I could also rebel. I could get angry. I could curse God. I could pick up my laptop and snap it in half and rebel. When I was in hospital, it was an opportunity to trust in God, to rely on him and excel. Or I could be bitter all weekend. I could be bad-mannered to the nurses, yelling at people grumpy at them, rebelling against God. See, the same event is a test or temptation depending on how we respond. Tests can either strengthen us or lead us to rebel against God. But it's so important that we realise something here. It's so important that we realise temptations don't come from God. Did you see verse 13? Have a look at verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, that God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. See, God's not this mean ogre sitting there trying to tear us down and destroy our faith, trying to tempt us and lead us into rebellion. Instead, he gives us tests as an opportunity to excel, as an opportunity to move closer towards him. But if that's the case, then where does temptation come from? Well, verse 14 and 15, it comes from our Hearts, have a look at 14 and 15. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he's dragged away and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. See, temptations come from within. My sinful heart leads me to question God's goodness when I lose my job. 
My sinful heart leads me to doubt God's goodness when I get sick. My sinful heart leads me to get angry at God when my relationships break down. See, it's my sinful heart that leads me to temptation and sin. It's not God, it's me. See, rather than being the source of temptation, God's actually the source of every good gift we have. Have a look at verses 16 to 17. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. See, God's not sitting up there in heaven trying to tear us down and destroy us. It's the complete opposite. He's a loving, generous God who's given us every good gift we have. I mean, think about it. How many good gifts do we have? We have loving relationships. We have, most of us have jobs, though some of us might not. We have shelter. We have plenty of food. We have a stable government. There's so many good gifts we could lift off, list off that God's given us. God is a good God who gives us so much. But even better than that, he's given us something even greater, eternal life, which we find out about in his word. Have a look at verse 18. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruit of all he's created. So in God's word, we find out about this eternal life that God's given us, eternal life through Jesus because he came and lived and died for me so that if I trust in him, I get eternal life. See, that's the greatest gift ever. That's the best gift anyone could ever give us. And so if God's given us this, it shows just how good God is, just how generous God is. And so when I'm facing tests, that's what I remember. I think back, I think, God is such a good God, he's given me eternal life. And so even though I'm in the face of this difficult test now, God must be good because he's given me something so good. And so if I remember that, then it helps me to avoid rebelling. It helps me to avoid seeing the test as a temptation. But more than that, it doesn't just help me avoid rebelling. It also helps me to excel, to do the opposite. See, tests can make us excel or tests can make us rebel. And so that's our two tips. They're the two tips James 1 gives us to prepare for the tests we face in life. And so what do we do then? When tests come, we've remembered that. What do we do? Well, I want to give two things, but before I say that, I do want to start by saying that compared to lots of you here, I know that I've not faced the kinds of tests that you have. I'm keenly aware that some of you have faced amazing tests and trials well beyond anything that I've experienced so far in life. And so I come and I say this humbly. I don't want to sound flippant and like I'm dismissing the genuine pain or hurt, the genuine difficulty that tests are. But nevertheless, this is what James has to say. And so he's got two, th two things I want to pull out from this then. Firstly, we can embrace tests with joy. We can embrace tests with joy. That's the command of verse 2. As hard as all of it is, I can look at God and know that God's good and God's loving. And if I remember that, that there's a purpose to the test, then I can embrace them with joy. I can look past the, uh, the current difficulty to what they produce. See, we might not be able to see how or why. We might not know why we're facing this particular test that we're facing. But we can embrace it with joy because we know there must be good reason that God is using it as an opportunity for us to excel, to make us complete in our faith. Now, this is uh, easy to say, isn't it? It's easy to say and hard to do. 
but it's the truth nevertheless. And so it was something I was reflecting on this week as I was preparing the talk about when I finish studying and when I go out to be a minister and care for God's people and love God's people, that this is something I need to remember. That when I see the tests in my life and when I see the tests in other people's life, I need to remember that God's using them, that God's using these tests as an opportunity to excel, to grow his people, to make them complete. And how can I do that? How can you do that in the face of tests? Well, it's by remembering verse 18, by remembering that God's given us Jesus, eternal life through Jesus. See, that's the goal, that's the purpose of it all. See, it might be hard, might be painful, there will be suffering and sadness, but we know it's not pointless. See, imagine if we didn't have God. Imagine if we didn't have God who told us there's a purpose to tests. There's a purpose to pain. Imagine how difficult that would be. Imagine how pointless it would be facing pain and suffering and sadness. How hopeless would that be? But because of God, because God's told us there's a purpose, then we can embrace tests with joy. And then because of that, the second thing we see is don't be deceived. Don't be deceived that tests are purposeless, that they're useless. Don't be deceived. We know they're an opportunity for us to excel. See, again, I don't want to make it sound like it's easy or it's not difficult to do it. It is difficult. There is pain and sadness. But nevertheless, don't be deceived that the pain and the sadness and the tests are purposeless. That's the command for Christians, verse 16. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived that God's out to get us. Don't be deceived that God's trying to tear us down. Don't be deceived that God doesn't have our best interests at heart. Don't be deceived. And so as we close, I want to share with you a story about Horatio Spafford. So life was amazing for Horatio. He had a loving family, he had a wife and four kids. He had lots of, um, lots of business investments. He's a wealthy man. Life was good. But in 1871, a huge fire tore through Chicago. And so it burned down almost all of his wealth, almost all of his properties and investment were gone overnight, gone in the click of a finger. In an instant, his life's worth, his life's wealth was gone. But he wasn't deceived. He didn't turn against God. He knew that God is good. And so he embraced the test with joy. But something even bigger was coming. Two years later, he decided to go on holiday with his family. Last minute work com commitments though came up. And so he had to send his wife and four kids on ahead uh, with the intention that he'd follow a couple of days later and he'd meet them over on holidays. But sadly, while the ship sailing, um, the ship was sailing with his wife and four kids on it, it sank. And his four daughters, 11-year-old Anna, 9-year-old Margaret, 5-year-old Elizabeth and 2-year-old Tanetta, all four of them died. All four of his daughters gone in an instant. Imagine the heartbreak to lose four daughters at once. How does someone cope with that? How does anyone cope with that? How easy it would be to rebel against God, to get angry at God, to curse God. God, how could you do this? I mean, I can't even comprehend the pain of this. This made me sad just reading about it, leave alone experiencing it. How does someone cope with tragedy like that? Well, Horatio wasn't, wasn't deceived. He wasn't deceived. He knew God wasn't out to get him. 
he didn't turn and rebel against God. But more than that, do you know what he did? As he was sailing out to meet his wife, as the boat he was on sailed over the spot where the ship sank and his four daughters died, as he was on his way there, he composed one of the most famous Christian songs ever written. It's called, It Is Well With My Soul. And so I want to share just a little bit of it with you. This is what he said in the days following, literally the days following the death of four daughters. This is what he had to say. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, lest this blessed assurance control that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. How amazing is that? How amazing to be able to say it is well with my soul in the days following the loss of four daughters. How does anyone say that? Well, it's in that second verse, isn't it? It's by remembering Jesus, remembering how good God is, that God has given the best thing possible, his own son in our place. And so by remembering that, Horatio didn't just not rebel, he excelled, that's excelling, isn't it, to write such an amazing hymn in the days following the death of four daughters. See, that's excelling in the face of unthinkable testing. That's Christian maturity. Tests will come. How will we respond? Will we rebel and curse God? Or will we excel and be complete in our faith? I'm going to pray and ask God to 